This is Minnesota Liberty, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, bringing you peace, prosperity, and freedom from the land of 10,000 lakes. Our guest tonight is going to be Harrison Hicks, and our topic is going to be about rural Minnesota. So it should be a good show tonight. Before we get into the show, just wanted to remind anybody that's interested in joining the party or just finding out more information about the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, you can do that at lpmn.org. And now we'll get right into the show. Harrison, hello, welcome. Howdy. So just starting out, a little background about yourself. You, as we were talking a little pre-show, not originally from Minnesota, but you are now settled in Minnesota up in Bemidji. How did you end up yeah. coming to Minnesota? Um, met a Bemidji girl. Pretty short story. Uh, <laughs> got married 13 years ago, been here ever since. And uh, yeah, it's been really nice. And the winters yeah. make it tough to leave, right? Yeah, it was. The winters sucked for the first few years until I just got tired of it. And I was like, okay, I, I need to figure something out with this to not want to tear my hair out and so i started doing like winter camping and stuff so just getting outside and having a challenge for myself with that really helped and uh, now i'm fine with it yeah awesome. i was told when we moved to bemidji that it would take me five years to warm up and i found that to be about true yeah it was about, about right, five yeah. years to warm up <laughs> mm -hmm. oh funny so getting into a little bit about rural minnesota and we were talking about some wood burning uh, initiatives that it looks like our attorney general has joined a handful of some other states in filing a lawsuit against the EPA. Yeah. So I saw this article like yesterday, it popped up on Google or something. <clears throat> um, yeah. So the EPA had like a self-inspection or something back in February and the inspection failed. So they, they couldn't even pass themselves, which is really saying something. Um, and that was based on, if I recall correctly, regulations that they had already in place uh, regarding wood-burning stoves. And there wasn't a whole lot there as far as regulations were concerned. Um, but they did have some incentives programs that uh, were intended to convince people to give up their wood-burning stoves and get replaced uh, replace it with like a propane or something like that. And they concluded that the incentives weren't well advertised. Oh, we but... lost you. Oh, am I back? Oh, no, never mind. Sorry. Disregard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was my technicality. Sorry. Sorry. So, yeah, they found that uh, it wasn't very well promoted. People didn't really know about it. People didn't care about it. Um, and so the conclusion was we need to up our own game on this. And then as a response to that, Minnesota and a few other states all sent them a letter saying, you know, we need to even up the ante more. We need to have more regulation of, of these appliances, these wood stoves, because they're just so high polluting, um, which is probably fine in a lot of those other states. But in Minnesota, it is just so darn cold. Um, I, I just couldn't believe it. But at the same time, I couldn't believe anything else because that is like the most Minnesota thing. Um, so, you know, I, I just kind of chuckled to myself and posted it on Facebook and was like, well, here we are. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, the EPA already responded to it, which shows that they're taking it seriously. And their response was, we're taking this seriously and looking at additional options. So it, it sounds like 
their foot is on the gas on this one. Uh, whereas with other things like their, uh, <clears throat> like Biden's proposed rule against gas stoves, they just kind of put some feelers out there and just had like a Q and A session and, and everybody kind of was up in arms about it. And the EPA was like, whoa, whoa, we're just, we're just asking, you know, we're just putting some feelers out. But on this one, they're like, no, we, we need to make some changes. So I would expect some activity on this uh, pretty soon, unfortunately. So the wood stoves, wood boilers, those are two different. Are they lumping those things all in the same category? I would imagine. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to dig into it much myself, um, but I have done a lot of work with these, with both wood uh, wood boilers and wood wood stoves, wood furnaces. Um, I was in weatherization for a while. Um, I, I was on the administrative side of it, doing like the audits, and now I'm on the um, the contracting side. So now I'm actually doing the weatherization uh, remodeling work. Um, so I mean, I I I see how both would fall under this category for anybody who knows about these types of appliances. Um, so I would expect both to be covered. Yeah. So the difference is for, and, and if I hadn't moved to Minnesota and started using wood to heat our house, I wouldn't have ever been able to tell you the difference, right? <laughs> Cause we didn't, we didn't heat our homes with wood. Um, but living in a rural area, a wood <laughs> boiler is typically outside and you have, um, um, you know, floor heat or it's, you know, hot water is running through your system and then it ex- in, into your house and that's how your house heats. But the, the wood boiler itself is outside typically. Right. Um, versus a wood stove, which is in your living room or ours is in our entryway. And it, you know, just, you have to feed it more often. A wood boiler, you don't have to feed as often. So, yeah. <laughs> but it is helpful, like for our family, because there's a um, different type of heat for a, um, you know, burning wood versus using propane in your furnace to heat your house through the winter. It's a much warmer type of heat, even if the temperature on the gauge in your house says it's whatever it says it is. It's a, it's a nicer heat. Yeah. <clears throat> And there's the cost component of it as well, right? I mean, the the cost of propane can vary widely. And oh yeah, I think mm-hmm. was it maybe five years ago around that time frame there was a shortage of propane in the winter in Minnesota. And the, that was 2014. 2004. Okay, so a little longer yeah. than. But yeah, that was uh, you guys. You both heat with propane. Um, little of both. I've got a wood stove and yeah. propane. Okay. So what did you guys see back then when for pricing? Do you remember what pricing did back then? I know it spiked, but I don't have propane to know what it was. So going into um, fall, August, September timeframe is when propane tends to be the lowest. And I've seen it as low as 89 cents a gallon. Um, our woods, our pro, propane tank is, it's a 500 gallon tank, but you're only allowed to fill it up to 80%, right? So 89 cents times 400. And that'll get us all the way through the winter. Um, the uh, It went up to $6 a gallon. $6, Six a gallon dollars. times 400 gallons. And there are people that need to fill it up more than once a month. That's an extraordinary, like, <clears throat> the cost of that is just crazy. Wow. 
Yeah, so supplementing that with wood is, I, I can see the importance of that. Huh. And yeah, Harris, Harrison, your, your thoughts on this? I mean, nobody has the, the crystal ball to know where this all ends up, but you're, as you had stated, the EPA has taken this seriously. So where do you think this kind of goes? What, what direction are they going to go with this? It didn't work. Uh, I think it's just going to be the death of a thousand cuts, basically. I mean, we're already well on this path um, where emission standards for cars are are getting tighter all the time. You know, I drive a 97 Ford Aspire. I think the thing's only got three cylinders and i um, pretty sure it's carbureted. Um, and every time I go into Valvoline, the guys are like, wow, we haven't seen one of these in a while, you know, but you, you couldn't get away with making a car like that. And I get 30 miles to the gallon. So, it, I, you know, it, the walls just close in tighter and tighter and tighter. And, and every, every time things tighten up a little bit, you're going to be seeing some people fall through the cracks and have to spend a lot of money on getting a new appliance or something, you know, like their, their furnace goes out instead of being able to being able to just fix the one they have now they have to buy a whole new one that's up to new codes and standards and god knows what so it's it's just going to pinch people a little more all the time do you think that this could be a way of because this last legislative session they tried to pass laws to make all everything under what was it 25 horsepower electrical for like yard tools lawnmowers oh yeah um, I think it included chainsaws, all that kind of stuff to be able to sell it in Minnesota, anything under 25 horsepower, electrical. Yeah, I don't remember all the details on that one. And I know they still sell gas powered chainsaws at the hardware store in town. So I don't, I don't know if this hasn't gone into effect yet or what. I don't know. There's, there's too much for me to keep track of with this stuff. Well, and, and that's a great point. It seems like this last session, there was just punches being thrown from all directions on, on things here. And to your point, mm -hmm. Rebecca, I, I don't think that did pass, like you said. I think that one didn't have enough momentum behind it this session. But then there's the concern is what happens next session, because, you know, a lot of this stuff is going oh, yeah. to be brought up again. Yeah, they still have an entire year left Yeah, before they're up for, um, you know, election again. So because they're on a two-year term, right? So right. next legislative session for people who are, I don't, I don't know, I guess I would see it as people who are not expecting to be reelected are just going to go all out. And yeah, try to there's nothing holding them back. Can. Yeah. Well, and I think that at this point, too, that there's probably some comfort in being a Democrat in the state of Minnesota. Because oh, yeah. they they have everything, you know. They have like the perfect trifecta in the state. So, how do you how do you fight against that? And they know it too. They know they hold the control. They know they have the power. Um, and they know that the only people that might put up a fight, uh, legitimately, and you know, in voting, are the Republicans who are just you know have this history of continually failing against the Democrats in Minnesota. So what do they have to lose, really? Right. You know, they got to make their voting base happy, too, so. Mm -hmm. And yet, I don't know, maybe it's just the people that I associate with and hang around with, but I don't know a whole lot of people that have really championed what they've pushed through this session. Um, so I, I'm still trying to find where their base of supporters are for this. And, 
<laughs> all three of us are a bit out state. I'm closer to the cities than you two are up in the northern part of the state. But even in my area, I consider it more central Minnesota. But that still doesn't seem to have a lot of strong support for the stuff that a lot of people I talk with are not happy with the results of this session. I think I would, yeah. do you think that's true up here? Yeah, I mean, there's essentially three kinds of Democrats. There's old Democrats who have no idea what the party has become. There's the new Democrats who have some idea of what they want the party to become. And then there's the, the ones in charge who are making the party what it is. Um, the last group is the most terrifying. Uh, the other two are mostly ignoramuses. Um, but like up here, the the Democratic Party, like if you go to their, um, I don't know, their building or whatever, um, it, it's all DFL. It's not, it's not Democratic Party. It's not liberal. It's nothing like that. It's Democratic Farmer Labor. And that association with farmers is like from like the fifties, you know, that's a, that's a long time ago that that identity mattered. And, and now farmers are for the most part, pretty conservative socially, at least, you know, and, and kind of fiscally too, you know, they're, they're the cowboys, rednecks, they're all the things that most people would not associate with the democratic party, but because of old ties with, you know, new deal kind of stuff, um, a lot of that thinking just kind of carries over. And so they just vote blue no matter what. Um, and they, they don't really look at what's actually going on. And I, I think most people who are voting for, for what the Democratic Party is doing these days is doing so without really looking too close at it. And just like, yeah, you know, whatever, environment, yes. And then they can't get a new fireplace and then they're surprised like what why aren't there any fireplaces you know yeah <laughs> so just... i i don't know very many old farmers that are very happy with the democrats in minnesota right and and those are the smart ones that they know to attribute those things to the democrats i mean i shoot i used to bartend at the eagles club and there's a lot of old boys there and uh <laughs> a lot of them just still thought the democratic party was great and they just had no idea and and they would hear crazy stuff in the news going on but but they would never associate it with the political party that they were you know putting how so long ago in. were you bartending at the eagles club oh that was i don't know six seven years ago so i feel like when the um you know covid stuff started happening that that was kind of this um opportunity where the Democrats got, showed their true colors, right? Because yeah. through that situation, they controlled the state. We had a Democrat governor. We had a majority in um, the House of Representatives, I think, because wasn't the Senate majority leader um, Gazelka? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, that sounds right. So they didn't have, they didn't control all three areas. Um, mm. But they did control two of them through COVID. Right. And that's how that they were able to maintain the emergency powers. That's mm. how they were able to maintain all of that stuff for years. I mean, for those all of those years, mm -hmm. the Republicans that were, um, you know, had been elected into office were 
according to them, unable to do anything to stop with the Democrats because the Democrats had enough of a majority to, to push back and keep it from happening. So, right. but through that situation, I think that a lot of people who had not been previously paying attention started to realize, you know, like, why are they doing this? You know, putting a name to things. And so that, um, you know, those rose colored glasses that people just wear out of ignorance and, and not because they're ignorant, but just because they're like, you know, not paying attention. Um, but through yeah, those I mean, couple of years yeah. that a lot of people were able to take those off because how could you not see what was happening? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, there was definitely a Plato's cave moment um as time has gone on there's there's just less and less excuses to hide behind less and less opportunities to brainwash yourself and then eventually you come to the conclusion like okay maybe things really are this horrible way that that i didn't want to think it, it was until now you know yeah. as as the democratic party has taken over more and more of state government um all of the moderate lefties don't really have that much opportunity to blame the conservatives for, for what's happening now. Cause the conservatives are like, well, it's not us, you know, <laughs> yeah. how could it be? There's, we have no majority in anything. There's, you know, there's, right. they're in control. They got it. They got all of it. You know, one of the thoughts that I've had recently, and it's kind of a concern because as a libertarian, we're, we're not necessarily aligning with one party or the other party. There's, there's some things in one party that make sense and some things in another party we say, okay, this makes sense, but neither one has it figured out. And as right. we've seen over history, the pendulum ends up shifting. Like right now it's over on the Democratic side. My concern is that the next election cycle that all of a sudden the Republicans get control and things switch so far to the right side of the aisle that that doesn't necessarily bode well either. I, I think there needs to be a little bit more balance in here, but I don't want to see things go to the extreme one way or the other, or am I wrong in that thinking? I, there's certainly that possibility in my opinion. I mean, it's hauntingly similar to pre-war Germany in that description, <laughs> but I mean, we're seeing some of that kind of stuff and, uh, I think the, if I were to bet, if I were a betting man, I would say I don't think the Republicans are going to get a day in the sun. And the only reason that I think the pendulum won't swing that way is because the Republicans are not meaningfully different from the Democrats. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think enough people are going to be like, well, I don't like them, so I'm going to go with them because People are so dis disillusioned right now. I, I don't see them making that, if not this, then that uh, conclusion myself. But I mean, it's it's certainly possible. Um, I know there's a lot of moderate liberals who, like there was the uh, the walk away, hashtag walk away campaign. Um, mm -hmm. I think when Hillary was running, when it was Hillary and Trump. And a lot of people were just so fed up with Hillary that they started voting for Trump, which I don't think is a great reason to vote for Trump, but they did. So who can say? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that too, that, you know, um, like I said, that the two parties are so similar 
that it well, and also that the Republicans in the states are, are very fractured right now. So they're also going through something. So first, and the Democrats don't seem to be, the Democrats seem to be a whole lot more unified in the direction that they're heading. There is some, I, you know, from like the, maybe the extreme position that are pushing people away. And we have people, we have like, I know of a lady in our Bemidji affiliate for the Libertarian Party who she left the Democrats, right? She mm-hmm. she walked away because right. of the yeah. extremism of their views. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is going to push people away. However, the, the leadership in it within the party is what matters. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like the Democrats are fragmented. It's but you can kind of tell that the Republicans are. Um, and that's going to be a disadvantage of them going into another election year if they can't get that figured out you know they're not if they're if they don't go into the election year unified they're not going to be able to overcome the dfl and harrison i I maybe sense that you were thinking there is a little fragmentation in the the dfl or was i wrong and i yeah i would say definitely um the 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 democrats have one advantage which is that their fracture lines are a lot more clearly defined Mm -hmm. um because you've got the uh, you've got the Illinois AOC branch of hyper progressive uh, liberals, and then you've got the the Pelosi branch, and they're they're very well entrenched. Both of them are, and they're really not giving each other a lot of wiggle room. Um, so the the internal conflict on the the Democratic side is very strong, but it's at least clearly defined. So it doesn't take a whole lot for an individual Democrat to decide for themselves, okay, I align more with this or I align more with that. So their schism is going to be a lot clearer and it's not going to last as long as the Republicans. The Republicans have a kind of clear schism in that it's Trump or not Trump. (laughs) Um, But seeing as neither side really knows what Trump represents, um, and certainly not in comparison to what the Republican Party is supposed to represent, which they also aren't clear on. They're going to have a lot harder time sorting through all of that muck to decide which direction the party is going to go. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that one party is more divided or less divided than the other. I would say they're differently divided, and that's going to be harder on one party than the other. I guess that makes that's sense. what I would say. Yeah. Um, so getting back to the wood stove stuff, yeah. I think that a lot of people in rural Minnesota feel as though that the politicians making these rules and pushing these new regulations just don't Sorry, <laughs> um, like there's a, a disconnect between an understanding, you know, like well, we have a term in rural Minnesota for city people. And um, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> so, but, you know, and I think it recognizes that there is a, just, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or if it's like just out of, you know, like that disconnect between just, you know, what life is like in city is different than what life is like in the country. 
or if it's an intentional misunderstanding. Um, but there's a lot of people in rural Minnesota that feel like the people in the cities just don't get it. There's, mm -hmm. you know, this line of ignorance that once you leave the cities, you're like, oh, I'm out in the country, you know. Um, so how do you, I don't know, I'm having trouble explaining it and not in a way and just coming out and, and um, the term in up here is idiots. <laughs> so yeah. I'm trying to be nice about it, but it's like coming out kind of garbled here. No, it's um, okay. Um, I can actually speak directly to this on okay. like a rubber meets the road level, um, okay. especially as it pertains to like the heating system issue. Um, because in my work doing weatherization stuff, um, there's a there's a ton of policies. There's a nice fat book of policies as to uh, what energy conserving improvements can be made and how and when. And because the heating systems in the cities are so much different than they are out here, all of the policies are written with a metro heating system building science design uh, framework in mind. Um, so every single year uh, when I was working with, with the organization that, that sends out the work and does the audit, when I was an auditor, um, there would be a handful of jobs that would get selected by the people, uh, I think Department of Commerce, well, I guess the administration of the weatherization industry in Minnesota. Um, they would pick a few jobs that we had done and send an inspector out to go take a look at them to make sure that we're doing things the way we're supposed to be doing. And every single year, the inspector would come out, he would take a look at the jobs, and there would be something that didn't, that, that wasn't in spec, it wasn't in policy. And he'd be like, oh, that's wrong. You can't be doing that. That you know, He'd be about to take a, take a note on that. And I'd be like, well, we had to do it this way. Um, because of you know our buildings are are built and designed differently out here than they are there you know there it's all multi-family uh boiler systems natural gas mm -hmm. um they have like one giant boiler down in the basement of this huge apartment building and it just runs steam through the entire thing and whatever um but out here houses are designed way different heating systems as well um, so once I would explain it, I'd be like, if we did it according to policy, like they'd get a roof leak or, you know, they'd have basement leakages and all sorts of other horrible things. And, and they, you can see the, the gears kind of grinding in their head as they're trying to mesh, you know, everything they've been taught every single day that they go into work with this house that they have to deal with that they don't even like the people living there. <laughs> just You can see like visible distaste on their faces sometimes coming into these places. And, yeah, it was a pain in the butt. Um, so there is absolutely a huge disconnect uh, between the people writing the rules down in the cities and the people who have to live by them everywhere else. Um, and a lot of it is just ignorance. They just don't know. Um, but ignorance can only function as an excuse for so far, especially if you are responsible for these people in a position of power over them. Like you have to know the people that you're governing. Um, so it, it really doesn't serve as a valid excuse in my mind. Yeah, I, I have a similar, well, not a similar story, but I have a story that falls into that. When we moved into our house, 
uh, we bought wood um, um, gas stoves for cooking on, you know, mm-hmm. um, just for, we bought them from Home Depot and, you know, but they run on gas and uh, they weren't lighting when they were supposed to. So I had to call, you know, in the warranty and mm-hmm. talk to the people at Home Depot about, um, you know, um, getting it fixed because we were still under warranty. And it took weeks, literally. I fought with them for weeks because they could not understand. They, they kept telling me that the, the gas stoves work better if they ran on natural gas. <laughs> and I was like, we don't have natural gas. Right. All we have is propane, which, you know, like a, a gas stove comes with, you know, a natural gas hookup and a propane hookup. So you can use yeah, both. Yeah, it's got the little nozzles you switch out. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's just simple as that. They, it comes mm-hmm. with the stuff for mm-hmm. those situations. But the people uh, who were like in Atlanta, Georgia or something, you know, like that's mm-hmm. where I think the headquarters for Home Depot is. Anyways, they were just like, no, it has, we can't honor the warranty because you're not using natural gas. And I was right. like, we literally don't have and cannot get <laughs> natural gas. It's not like I just bought propane to piss you off, you know? Like, <laughs> come on, man. Yeah. Like, how about you just just use kryptonite, you know? Yeah, I, it might be easier to find in Bemidji than yeah. natural gas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, it, 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 I mean, this is their own system. They should know what it takes to get natural gas. It's an infrastructure thing. You have pipes going, you know, through the through the streets, underneath. They're they're buried. You know, this is it's like it's like internet cable or something. You know, like it's a big deal to get it installed. They should have some awareness of of their own infrastructure in a city, like all that goes into making their entire world work every single day, from yeah. sewer systems to power to all of it. You know. It's ridiculous. But There's they just a lot of people that don't. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I, what, what can you say about such people? <laughs> yeah. I know like on our, so the property that we live on, um, I, cause we live in an area where uh, prior to my, we got the property like from a split off of 40 acres from my in-laws. So they lived right next door and um, nobody's ever lived here before. Like, literally, nobody in the course of written human history has ever built a house on this area of land. We are the first. You might as well be friggin' Lewis and Clark. Yeah. Well, so when we, you know, started building here, you know, things like electrical utilities, um, you know, you you have to be able to figure all that stuff out because there were actually no lines at all available period without us yeah. putting them into place. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, and you know, if you think about it, you're like, well, we are the first people to be on this piece of property. That kind of feels big, you know, it is big. I mean, that's, it's something that we've just completely lost in society is the importance of doing something new for yourself. Right. And, and a, kind of a, a, a theme that I, I took away from hearing the two of you talk was in, in your 
portion Harrison talking about like these inspectors as they come out and you can see that the churning going on when you're explaining to them like why this they're just doing their job right that's kind of the right. comment I'm just doing my job but yet right. they're, they're not educated enough on the rural part of Minnesota to to do their job adequately they're they're taking what they're learning from down being written in Twin Cities for codes mm -hmm. and applying those throughout the state and then mm -hmm. on the same thing as we were talking earlier about just people in general I feel there's a, a strong disconnect from people's awareness of politics and it's and I, yeah. I'm trying to figure out why that is because it is such an important part that affects our, our lives on a daily if not weekly basis that to pay attention to what's going on politically in at least your school boards and your counties and at the state level it's fine you don't want to pay attention to dc because that's kind of a clown show out there but the more local stuff because that does affect us and yet people just seem to be more consumed with the latest episode of yellowstone or whatever the the new trend is on ice bucket challenge or something like that to i'm going well gosh how, how do we get people to wake up to these causes and these so what's going on you can make it appealing. You can make it attractive. Um, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Um, so you, you do what you can to try to show people, look, this is what I'm doing. This is why it works. This is why it works really well, better than what you're doing, um, especially in a worst case scenario. If, if something goes wrong, you know, I'm going to be way better situated than you are. Um, you just, you know, just throw your seeds out on the ground and, and if it, if it bears good fruit, then great. If it doesn't, okay. <laughs> you you got to be able to just let go. And that's hard and sometimes kind of mean, but what, what else can you do? I think yeah. that's great advice. You know, because um, for the most part, the Libertarian Party has been historically centered around the cities, right? Um, at least yeah. in our state. Yeah, certainly um, here. Yes, yeah, certainly here. Um, I made the comment one time that I could get to Canada faster than I can to Minneapolis from where I live. Uh -huh. And you could see, like, the people I was talking to, like, pause and stop and think about that. Like, <laughs> yeah. seriously? I'm like, have you ever looked at a map to see how far north Bemidji is? Yes, I can get to yeah. Canada. I can get to Canada and back before somebody else who is left at the same time would ever get to Minneapolis. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Like, because I think a lot of the disconnects between rural and urban, um, is based in a deeper value set that at least libertarians have done a really good job of holding on to. Um, so in the libertarian party here in Minnesota, you know, there, there's a lot of people down in the cities, and they do have some disconnect with with what it's like to be a ruralite, um, but the value set is the same. You know, it, the the individual rights and freedoms of libertarianism suit uh, self sufficiency and independence really, really well. Um, so even for the people down in the cities, they're not people who are going to get caught with their pants down like so many other people down there will. If if anything goes wrong, God forbid, you know, I mean, I was watching a video just the other day about the uh, Metcalf power station attack. And it was just a few guys with what seemed to be AK-47s from what they could tell from the, the bullet casings 
Um, and they they shot this power substation, took out power for like thousands of people in California. And I mean, our infrastructure has not improved at all since then. Our power grids are just as vulnerable as they ever have been mm -hmm. in the past. Um, they're fighting over water rights in Colorado, California, the whole Southwest. You know, they're they're having to like make deals with each other over who gets water. Um, I mean, we're on a knife's edge all the time, and, and we just don't have any thought of that. But I think us as libertarians have a at least a better grasp of it than most because of personal responsibility that, that we prize for ourselves. So speaking of that, um, I, so where we live, and I'm sure this is the case maybe for where you live also, that we have more cows in our township than people. <laughs> um, we are vastly outnumbered by the cattle. Uh, you know, life, when you live up here, is a lot different. More people, I think, tend to have gardens. More people tend to, you know, like chickens and um, shopping local is more important. We don't yeah. have as many, um, you know, big box stores as somebody in the cities would have access to. Um, so there is this, you know, while independence is like a libertarian thing, in addition to that, just, you know, it's kind of forced on you because of your choice of living rural. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so what do you guys do? Your family? I know your family, you guys garden. So mm -hmm. what, what kinds of things do you guys do that would kind of, you know, be characteristic of that sense of independence? Um, there's like the individual tasks and skills that you cultivate that are very, very important. Um, I think the habits are the most important thing, though, myself. You know, like um, at the end of summer, getting your car tires checked out and uh, making sure that you have like a air compressor in the car that you can plug in the cigarette lighter and stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, like gardening is a, is a huge one, but making sure that you can it at the at the end of the season when you're harvesting everything and not just like, oh, great, we got a whole bunch of peppers and then you make a ton of salsa and a bunch of rocks or whatever you know like it's a daily diligence and i think that's that's the thing that makes all the difference mm -hmm. um because the fight comes for you every day up here especially in the winter time um, it doesn't sleep it doesn't change when you wake up one day to the next so doing 50 great things is gonna give you a, a good head start but those 50 things are gonna run out if you don't keep doing subsequent things to to support yourself and and make sure that you're able to keep functioning um to make sure that you're able to get to work on time and not have car trouble and all sorts of other things like that that can just get so horribly aggravated in the winters up here um yeah, yeah and I mean, dangerous we, sometimes and absolutely i mean there's, there's people who freeze to death up here you know like yeah. there was some i remember when i was in college at bsu there was some girl who got drunk and was stumbling back to her dorm. And I think she ended up on somebody else's doorstep or something and just froze to death right there, you know, just like a block from her house. So close. It's crazy. But I know like even in the winter time here, like the buses, you know, you pick drop off kids. It is just mm -hmm. very, very important. 
and I'm sure it's like this in the cities too. Um, but you know, cause you, you have, you have equally as dangerous cold in the cities Yep. up here though. Uh, I remember, I think it was probably 2015, something like that. There was a kindergarten girl that was dropped off by her bus driver and her babysitter or mom or somebody, whoever was supposed to be at home to let her in the house was asleep. And the little, I mean, and the little girl, I mean, died that, but that's with the kind of extreme amount of heat. I mean, not, not heat, this extreme cold, right. That can happen very, very quickly. Mm. And so you do have to make sure that, you know, be like you said, be very diligent. Like this has to happen next. This has to happen next. Have a backup plan because there are people up here that do freeze to death in their houses Mm -hmm. in winter. Yeah. I think the main difference as far as that kind of stuff goes is that up here, there's not going to be somebody who walks past you. Yeah. You're You're less likely to stumble upon somebody that, or by the time you do, it's too late. Right. Let me ask both of you this, because there's obviously this disconnect between city folks and people living in the rural part of our state. Yet, and as Harrison, you had said the winters, and Rebecca, you said this too, winters in northern Minnesota can be pretty harsh. But it seems like the city folks love northern Minnesota in the summer months, right? Do you guys not get <laughs> flooded with oh, yeah. tourists in the summer? So well, we are right yeah. now. So talk yeah. a little bit about that. How, how, how is that when, you know, you've got your, your life up there, you're used to living in the winter, and all of a sudden here comes spring and summer? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have something to add, but I'll, you can go first. <laughs> it, they're, they're tourists, you know, so they, they kind of do their thing. I do mine. They bring money into the community. That's great, you know. They're enjoying all the things that I like to enjoy up here. So good for them. <laughs> he has a very positive outlook on that, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Rebecca, what's your outlook? Um, well, I determined uh, just last week that there is nothing more annoying on the entire face of the earth than being cut off by somebody with a California license plate. <laughs> like what you guys, what are you doing here? Just go home. <laughs> yeah. It's not the tourists that I worry about so much. It's the people who move here. Oh, Those yeah. ones. Oh, <laughs> oh. I do, uh... As if that wasn't me like 10 years ago. <laughs> if you're, if you're a good transplant. Okay, great. But some people just oh yeah like there was this one poor lady uh just on christmas christmas day and uh she had just moved here from the cities and her car broke down on the side of the road and everybody was driving past her i was like god it's christmas you know (laughs) come on so i pulled over helped her she had a the whole car full of groceries she was bringing home to her family and so we got them all loaded up in our van and she got her in there too and took her home. And it was, it was just like some electrical problem or something, you know, like if she just had a jumper pack, it would have been fine. <laughs> but yeah, but she didn't. So it's like, uh, you guys are going to have a tough time, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I do, uh, I do land use for the township. 
so if anybody moves in and they want to build something or whatever, they get, you know, apply for a permit and, and I got to do that. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's interesting seeing like parcels get divided and then sold off to different people. And it's like, oh, you know, like that was 40 acres of beautiful woods. And now it's just going to be a bunch of houses and lawns. It's just hate it. Drives me nuts. Yeah, I kind of like the, um, we don't have a lot of them up here. A lot of like, you know, neighborhoods um, where you just, you know, go in and all the houses are exactly the same that, yeah. that you do in the cities. And I, I noticed that last time I was in Minneapolis, that how many neighborhoods, because we had kind of taken a different route home. So we hadn't gone on the interstate, um, you know, as far as we could, we drove through some of those more suburban kinds of areas. And that was the thing that struck me was that a, how new the houses were and B mm. how they all looked the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they just like, you know, cookie cutter house. It's coming. And, They're already doing it here. Oh, I, and it, I just, I don't know. I think about it. I'm like, that's just so sad. Like that. I don't, I don't want that <laughs> for here. Like we have, this far north we have it's a very old town bemidji is an old town yeah um but there's and there's a lot of old old houses a lot of old farmhouses mm-hmm. and so you know you had the initial like one bedroom you know farmhouse that was built first and you can mm-hmm. tell where they added on this next and they added on this next and then they added more space on um mm-hmm. and so you know you can see that just like you know, driving through and seeing all the old farmhouses, which is, it's very characteristic of an old town. And I hate to see that slipping away. (laughs) Yeah. So I know that we're like working on those houses, trying to get them updated and remodeled (laughs) sometimes. It's it's horrible. Uh, I've crawled around in more of those attics than, than I care to. Yeah, well, and what, they're made with miserable. like rough, rough sawn beams, you know, mm-hmm. where you can still see where like the the tree, the um, the bark was shaved off. Some yep. of those houses still have that original foundation. Uh, not mm-hmm. some, a lot of those do. Wow. And if once you get down into the, um, you know, the base of the house or whatever, and you can see that in the walls, uh, it's mm-hmm. it's, you find it's newspapers really that they, uh, insulated with. Yeah, yeah. kind of cool, you know. Like I was at one house, and they had uh, some German newspaper from like it was it was pre-war. It was pre-World War Two. Uh, it was a St. Paul German publication, and uh, I couldn't read any of it, but but I was able to see the dates and stuff. I'm like, oh wow, you know, this is back then, and they yeah. used it as insulation because they didn't have anything else. Yeah, my um. Husband's family is from Bemidji. I think our kids are the fifth, maybe sixth generation here. I can't, I'm not sure. Um, but that that goes all the way back to the beginning, right? So at least in Bemidji. Um, and his dad grew up in an old farmhouse. And the farm has since been parceled up into one acre lots and is being turned into a neighborhood. Um, but grew up in a farmhouse where, you know, when you w- woke up in the mornings, it was so cold inside the house that you could see your breath. 
mm-hmm. um, 1950s farmhouse, rural Minnesota. So way outside of town. Well, that's another thing getting back to the heating systems because um, the new heating systems just won't work in a house like that. Like the, the way they insulated back then was a lot worse than they do now. Um, so they needed a super high output heat source, like a fireplace. Mm-hmm. And if you get rid of that and then put in like a high efficiency propane furnace, it's, they're going to be cold all the time and it's going to struggle to keep up because it's having to heat so much more than a, a newer house to match the newer appliance. It just, it's not a workable solution at all. From the lack of insulation. Yeah. 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 I mean, those houses are a lot bigger sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, they and they don't like the layout doesn't make a lot of sense all the time. So air doesn't move <laughs> yeah. through the house the way you would think mm-hmm. it it should, uh, because they just did an add on and then an add on and then an add on. So there's just terrible circulation. You get moisture issues. You get all sorts of stuff. A lot of problems if you don't have that super dry, hard hitting fire heat. Well, and, and talking a little bit about kind of government's in, intention with this, the, the fireplace or wood stoves by removing those. And the Thomas Sowell quote that I, I love to say is there are no solutions. There's only trade-offs. Back in the mid-90s, the, the government had a program where they decided that houses need to be more energy efficient. So they really increased the tightness of the houses and sealed them up. But then it took them... 10 years to realize we're trapping a bunch of moisture inside the house now and there was mold and mildew problems in houses where then they had to start putting in the heat recovery ventilation system so that they can extract some of that moisture and and keep airflow moving through the house so i I think this is just another thing where the government's trying to help solve a problem that is going to end up leading to another problem that and that's what keeps government in business though right i mean every time they have another problem yeah, the government Ooh. created the problem, but this time they're going to come up with the solution. Yeah. <laughs> and there there are ways of doing it right so that you don't have those problems and you do have high efficiency. It just is going to cost more. Um, and if you're not in a place to do that, then, then what? You just don't have a house, you know? Or you well, cut if I put and then you have an house. As I say, if I put my tinfoil hat on that, that's how we get to you will own nothing and you will be happy, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even like there's a lot of people who don't intend that, but that's what they're going to end up creating anyway. Um, I'm I'm a big believer in uh, Hanlon's razor, which is that you should never attribute to malice what can be adequately explained by stupidity. Uh, And (laughs) I, I find that that keeps me some degree of optimistic um, in, in a lot of situations where other people are just like, oh, they're horrible, evil, satanic, you know, adrenochrome drinking people. And, you know, you could go full Alex Jones on it. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, they're just idiots. You know, <laughs> just solves a lot of problems that way. But it, the, the problem is still there. The problems that are being caused are not at all diminished by that. Um, I don't care whether you understand the building science of, of the policies that you're trying to implement or not. These are the problems that they're going to cause. And if you're not aware of that, then you should find out. 
So I actually just thinking about that, want to bring up something. Um, so have you heard of 15 minute cities? Yes, I haven't. You haven't. Okay. No. So, um, and I, and there's parts of Europe and I can't tell you right off the top of my head where I think Paris might be one of them where they're implementing um, like the layout of the city to make it so that no matter where you are in the city, you are or where you live in the city, you're 15 minutes to all your, you know, your necessities. And I th it's 15 minutes of walking or biking, not driving necessarily. So close vicinity of where you live, you know, your school, your hospital, your grocery store, your bank, your church, all within 15 minutes. Um, and that has kind of caught on, um, at least in theory. And I had read something recently about in the cities trying to start pushing towards these 15 minute cities so that no matter where you live in the cities, all your necessities are just, you know, right there within grasp. Right. Um, however, in rural Minnesota, <laughs> how do you make that work? I it's 20 minutes from me to get from my house to the city driving. Yeah. Yeah. That's driving 15 minutes walking. You're dead. Possibly. I'm, I'm, I might on get a, on a bad day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In January dead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really could be. Yeah. Um, honestly, I love the idea. I really do. I, I would be a huge fan of 15 minute villages. Right. 15 minute cities, not so much. Um, a, lo a lot of these policies that, that the liberals and the Democrats like to push, I agree with a lot of it. You know, I'm environmentally minded. I, I bought a bunch of solar panels. I'm in the middle of putting them on my roof right now. And um, get, like all of these things are good things, things that, that I care about too. I just hate the way they're going about it. And anybody who takes, 15 minutes of Googling into these problems will realize like, okay, they're a lot harder problems to solve than, than they're trying to make it out to be. Um, and the solutions might cause more problems than they solve. Um, it just takes time. It takes more effort than they want to give it. They just want to sign a bill and there we go solved. And it's, it's not that easy. Harrison, yeah. would you be more in favor of a carrot approach to these versus the the stick approach? Well, I'm always going to lean towards the free market solving problems. Um, I mean, I'm I'm aware that it's not a silver bullet. Um, it's a more ethical way of organizing society than what we have now. Is it going to solve everything? No, but you're going to be farther ahead than you started. Um, I think if enough people want it and the market is free enough to allow them to pursue it, we could really have some, some beautiful uh, urban planning or just urban happenstancing, I guess. Um, if not enough people want it because not enough people know or understand why it would be important to have something like that, um, then we're, we're not going to be able to have meaningful legislation, even with a state trying to force it down our throats, because the people just won't know what they're talking about, and they, they won't know why they're doing what they're doing. So it, it 
doesn't really matter either way. Um, the core of the issue is just reaching out to other people and talking to them about these issues. You know, like, oh, this is something that's important to you? Okay, let's talk about it. And then you'll understand more. You'll be a little more informed going forward. And if you want to use that knowledge to write better bills, okay, that's not what I would do, but your bills are going to be better at least. And if you want to go the libertarian route and just implement it on your own, then great, more power to you. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that gets caught up from a lot of legislators is the saying of when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yep. Their, their tool that they have at their disposal is legislation, making laws. So I think from their standpoint, it's we need to influence the shape and the way our society is going. So therefore, we need to make more laws versus that free market approach where maybe allow the free market to come up with a solution instead of government trying to help enforce a solution. Right. And I've seen for myself how uh, the government will or, or whatever authorities are in charge of such a thing will latch on to some kind of in vogue solution and try to just apply it everywhere, uh, whether or not it is even remotely relevant. Um, I remember when COVID kicked off, everybody in the weatherization community got really excited about this the concept of indoor air quality as being super important to, uh, you know, staving off COVID. And there was absolutely nothing to back that up at all. Um, but it was just an excuse for them to, to push their ideas and, and raise their own self-importance. And uh, I remember uh, there was some um, conference that we had to go to and it, it was very hurriedly switched to online classes. And uh, I remember just calling him out in the chat. I was like, "This, there's nothing to back this up that, that COVID is going to be impacted anyway by the changes you're suggesting. I mean, we should still do these things because it's good building science, but you're trying to spin it like you're going to save lives from COVID with this. And there's nothing to back that up at all. Um, so I, I don't trust people in government um, generally, of course, to try to solve a problem themselves because... It takes a lot more effort to actually understand a problem than it does to get elected to solve a problem. Uh, so we only have a minute or so left. Um, oh, and I, okay. we had talked about before we started um, recording that uh, trying to figure out, you know, the population in rural Minnesota versus, um, you know, other parts of the state or what the population was. And I Googled it, right? And I got 434,000. That's what Google said. Mm -hmm. In rural Minnesota, that's the population. Yeah. Um, so I just, and to compare that to, there's 425,000 people that live just in Minneapolis. So that doesn't include St. Paul or any of the surrounding, you know, right. cities that make that up. Um, and I also Googled what uh, makes a place rural versus not rural, right? Mm -hmm. Um. So to be considered rural um, in the United States, you have to have less than 500 people per square mile. And then you're considered hmm. rural. Do you know how many people are in your township per square mile? My township? I just, I just Googled mine. So you want me to Google yours real quick? Sure. Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. And then we'll compare it to what mine is. Okay. Um, so population... Hold on a second. 
Helga Township, Minnesota. It's 33 people per square mile. And what was it? 500? Five, less than 500 per less square 500. mile. Oh, okay. So wow. You're at 33. You have a long ways to go before you become not rural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of people migrating here that I don't want. <laughs> yeah. My township's only 43. And I, I think that's probably my family's fault. So um, <laughs> took the, the average up a little bit. So, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, we are at our hour. And um, I just wanted to tell you thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking with us. Thanks it's been very me. enjoyable. And if I could add, Rebecca, I just I also want to say thanks, Harrison, because a lot of times being a libertarian, I feel like we're kind of on an island and it gets a little bit depressing seeing the stuff that's going on <laughs> that we're not able to have an influence on at this point or a mm -hmm. say to to an extent of infecting legislation. So I do appreciate your positivity that, that you brought to, to light today about just letting things go sometimes and just spreading those seeds out there and some will take and some yeah. won't. And, that gave me a more of an uplifting attitude to walk away from this from. So thank you for well, that. That is going to go to his head. That is going to go to his head. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, I mean, I'm involved in local politics. I'm a township official. I've been doing the weatherization stuff and, um, you know, I mean, it, it's a fight that is worth fighting. You're not going to win every battle, but the most important thing to me is the individual work, um, on, on myself and, and what I'm doing and also in working with other people and just letting everyone around me know, you know, like here's a better way. And I think that's the most important effort of all. And it bears fruit. It really does. Awesome. Well, um, again, thank you for coming on. And if you are interested in thank joining you. the party or in, had enjoyed the podcast and want to look us up, uh, it's lpmn.org and you can um, sign up to become a member of the party or, you know, find out where your local affiliate is meeting or just what's going on. But um, yeah, so we will do another podcast next week and that's going to be um, a mystery of what that topic is. And I'll, uh, it's a mystery to me even right now. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, y'all have a good evening. Bye. Thanks. Bye to be um, a mystery of what that topic is and I'll uh it's a mystery to me even right now so <laughs> but um yeah y'all have a good evening bye thanks bye